What up, y'all? I'm Rajay. And I'm Shy, and welcome to the RXS Podcast. The podcast where we provide inspiration, motivation, and information to the music community. Yes. Gang, gang, gang. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Uh, pastoring, music. Um, For sure. Hitting rock bottom. Mm. Um, this one is special. Yeah. Um, this person is special and this story is special. And that's the biggest thing that I want people to get from it. Like mm. what to do after hitting rock bottom. So yeah, I hope y'all enjoy this. Peace. What's up, y'all? I'm here with the amazing, extremely gifted Bishop Larry Trotter. How are you, man? I'm blessing you, sir. I'm good. Highly favored and thanking yes, God for another day. Yes, sir. How you been lately? Doing pretty good. You know, wrestling with, I saw my limping. I yes. fell back some months ago, so you learn how to walk again. Yes, sir. I ain't going to let it keep me down. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So typically, I like to go all the way back. Take me back to when and where you were born. I was born here in Chicago. Wee! Sixty-six years ago. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was born here. I've all, I've been here all my life. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, March nineteenth, nineteen fifty-seven. Yes, sir. And how I was born and raised in the housing project. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, people that from Chicago would be know would know the Ickies, the Robert Taylor, the Stateway Gardens, Cabrini Green. Well, I was born in the Ickies, which was one of the worst. And uh, but we made it through. Yes, sir. My mother um, raised all of us as she was a single mother, and she didn't have any trouble out of any of us per se. But you know, we had some. I got a lot of building stories or uh, things I can tell about other people and their struggles and mm. how, what project life was like. Yeah, and, and I, I go into a little bit with my uh, with my book. Yes, sir. My latest book. Yes. And what's the name of your latest book? The Diary of a Church Boy. Wow. And I tell it all. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to write it? Well, you know, I went through so many things in ministry life. And I think that the church does a disservice because we're not transparent. And so unless there's transparency, how can it help another young preacher that's coming along? Yes, sir. So I felt like uh, when I went through divorce, when I hit rock bottom, all those kind of things. There was no book I could go and buy Woo. that was saying the how-tos or tell somebody telling their story because we, we um, closet it, cover it. Yeah. And so this book to me is a step to people, particularly myself, being transparent. So another young pastor would be able to say, I've been through that. Yes, sir. I can relate to that. Yes, sir. And that's what I'm hoping it is doing. Yes, sir. So to go back to growing up, what shielded you guys from not being like the rest of them? It's that song I got a praying grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, just the grace of God, but because, I mean, we were not any more polished anybody else in the project. My mother just had strong principles yes, sir. and things, and, and we had better not cross her. Mm -hmm. You know, we had to be in the house when the street lights came on. Yeah. Like down south when, the, you know, <laughs> when the sun go down, you had to be in the house. Yeah. And my mother being mother and father, 
uh, she beat you. My worst whoopings are with the extension cord. Woo! You had one of them whoopings where, where your mama is whooping you for whatever reason, and she says, shut up. I said, mama, how can I shut up? You beat, you beat the, me with an extension cord. Beating, I... the, beating the hell out of me. I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm need some help, you know? Yeah. What was it like growing up without a father? Uh, it was wonderful. I, I had I have void. Uh, I have some days that were void because there was no male figure. Yes, sir. And we tunneled through that. Um, my father uh, was an alcoholic, and he was a bootlegger as well. So my memories of him were very dim and negative in the most part. Yeah. Because uh, uh, he lived in another area of the city, and it seemed like to me he used my mother as on, on Saturday nights, on Sundays, you couldn't buy alcohol in Chicago. And I remember several, let's just say many Saturdays, going with her to the liquor uh, warehouse. They mm-hmm. called it Alpar uh-huh. to buy liquor so he can sell it to the drunks before noon on Sunday. And they would be lined up at his place. We got we to gotta get a couple of cases of White Pot and a couple of cases of Boone's Farm and Rothschild's. <laughs> Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I ain't never heard of none of that. Wild no. Irish Rose. I heard of that. Mad Dog. I heard of that. Okay, so yeah, I, mean, I got, I know them. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, uh, I didn't have any real relationship, but the Lord worked it so that He did get to hear me preach, and uh, uh, in His last year of life, and uh, I got to lead Him to the Lord in His last year of life. So wow. Uh, and I and I got to preach the funeral, mm. but prior to those days, and that was that was my first year of pastoring, and when I had to bury my dad and bury my grandma, so it's been a journey. Yeah, but I don't have a lot of childhood memories of it. I got you. Mm-hmm. Sometime he would go to the fish market and come and have my mother fry fish. They sit around and play cards. That's all. Yeah, maybe one or two Christmases. Got some. That's all. But my mother stepped up and, you know, uh, how single mothers in that day said stuff like, boy, I brought you in. I'll take, take you, you out. out. <laughs> uh, uh, here's the one. I'm going to give you the one that you'll never forget. Yeah, beat you till you rope like okra. All them kind of things. Like, what do you mean? I just got beatings. I got beatings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the beatings help. If you say what what were some of the things that helped me not to be like some of my friends, I think it was the, the strict, uh, strictness, if there's such a word, yes. that uh, was put upon us. And we had liberty, but we knew that there were certain things you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Cross the line. You know, and we couldn't say stuff like lie. Yeah. Lie, lie was a bad word. You so know? what would y'all say? Tell a story. Yeah. He telling a story on mama, mommy and mama. <laughs> So, you know, now these kids say a lot more than a lie. Yep, facts. Those kind of things. You yeah. Know? So I go back and think, and for a young man, I think I had a good memory. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what led you into preaching? Like, were y'all already in church heavy? I wouldn't say heavy. We went to the neighborhood church, and, well, uh, let me digress. We were going to a Methodist church for Sunday school and uh, Quinn Chapel AME. That's the church here. Uh, I had the underground railroad attached to it and all of that. So we went there and I hated the place. Mm. I hated it. But 
it was me who took my family from there to the family church by way of a man called Mr. Green. Mr. Green sold candy in the projects, and he'd give us something if we promised that we'd come to Sunday school the next oh. day. So he wrapped us in, and I was able to bring my, my mother in. She was as faithful as most people would be, sang in the choir, that mm. kind of thing. But I never would have thought that I would be, you know, in church to this level. Yeah. Uh, one time, you know, I got, I got tired of going to this church, tired of going to this church. And uh, I decided that one Saturday I was going to catch pigeons. And me and Count Spence, he's in heaven now, hell, wherever he went. But uh, uh, I don't know because we left lost contact. But he and I caught about nine or ten pigeons and put them in pillowcases. So the lady would come through Miss Jackson and walk all the project kids to church. And uh, so me and Count decided we were going to go up there like 30 minutes, 40 minutes earlier and walk back to the building. And we went up there and let the pigeons loose in the church. So when we got there, there was no Sunday school and no church. <laughs> and I kept that from my mother till I was Grown and pastor, and people on wondering why they had them pigeons got in the church. How them pigeons got in the church? So I guess I was Apostle Paul, and I was uh, persecuting the saints a long time ago. How old were you when you told your mom? Uh, probably twenty-ish, because I started pastoring at twenty-two, so somewhere around twenty-three or twenty-four. Mm. And this had to occur when I was nine or ten. Wow! But and you I remember can, that? I remember it vividly. I remember a lot of things vividly. I don't know. I know they saw, I don't understand. I'm studying a little bit more about dementia and Alzheimer's. And yes, sir. Short-term memory and long-term. I think I have a better long-term long memory. Yes, sir. I could tell you stuff that happened in the project. I could tell you that, but I can't tell you what I preached last week. I have to go back and say, <laughs> what did I do? Yeah. Where did I go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been a journey. Yes, sir. Uh, I have two brothers. Yes, sir. Uh, one has gone home to be with the Lord, and I guess that may be a part of, and one sister. I mean, that, that may be a part of our uh, involvement in church and, mm-hmm. and and Christian community. My my brother caught polio at nine months old, and so uh, he couldn't walk. And my mother was going to all the faith healers. Everybody said, oh, you got to go over to Matty B. Pool. We go over there. Shamba coming town. Got to go over there. And a lady said to my mother one time, we were getting on the State Street bus to go see if God would heal Bobby. And the lady said to me, said, Miss Dorothy, just like God healed that man's prayer over there, he can heal yours. And from that day on, we never went to another crusade, but my mother began to pray for him. And uh, uh, his legs were crippled, like a missile self. Uh, most of his life, I said the rest of his life. But he took a bad situation and made it a good situation. Yes, sir. He ended up uh, being the head in wheelchair basketball. Oh, wow. Uh, in the Midwest of the United States. And you can Google him. And it was amazing to me because, you know, you can't walk, but yeah. you're playing. I don't know if you've ever seen wheelchair basketball. Yes, I have. Yeah. So if you Google his name, he was in there. So that's Bobby. That's the one next to me. Yes, sir. I, I was a baby, of course. Mm-hmm. And the book, Bobby, 
Robert Dennis Constance, and my oldest brother, who is a preacher, mm -hmm. uh, is Ronald Trotter. Okay. But he's bedridden right now and mm -hmm. uh, stomach cancer and some other things. His church, he hasn't had his church maybe 10 or 15 years. Okay. So it's really me and my sister mm. at this point because Ronnie is uh, partially uh, handicapped and can't function. He's in a bed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's get to the pastoring part. You said you started pastoring when you were? 22. 22? Mm-hmm. And what got you on that journey? Ooh, we. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I tell you this, I um, I fought with the call to preach. Mm -hmm. I fought with the call to preach for a couple of years mm -hmm. as a uh, senior in high school. Yes, sir. And <clears throat> we had a choir. Excuse me, we had a choir, a Limbloom Gospel Choir, which I was one of the originators of, along with some other people. And the Limbloom Gospel Choir grew fast. And so we were having these services, supposed to be rehearsals, back in the choir room. And it, they came, became services. Mm. And my peers and people through the school who had troubles came to our rehearsal and asked me to pray for them or asked Lamont to pray for them. We started praying for them. And to make a long story short, that choir... We were praying one time, the glory fell. The late uh, evangelist Timothy Hinton came, and people were getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And the principal put us out of the school. Whoa. And so we end up rehearsing at a little church on 63rd Street called Bread of Life. Uh, and the rest was history. But I ended up being the person who spoke for the choir, the person who prayed for, we prayed for one another, when, you know, we had things like that and uh, ran from the calling until uh, one night at the Christway Baptist Church. Late, uh, at that point, there was only one ordained woman mm. uh, in the ministry in Chicago. Her name was Consuela York. Mm -hmm. And we would go to Mother York services on Thursdays. And I kept hearing God tell me, you're going to do this and I mean, I believe in an audible call, yeah. and I believe in my soul, her God, and I'm running from it, running from it. And so this particular Thursday night, I'm on the organ, and we're having the tarry service. Thank you, Jesus. 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 And I'm just playing, what have you, and the anointing had falling into place, and I fell out. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I come to, I'm in Mother York's hands. And uh, I, I missed some minutes, don't know what happened. But when I came to, she said to me, if you don't tell God yes, he's going to take your back to your stomach and your stomach to your back. As far as I'm concerned, that man did. <laughs> so uh, my home church was a house of inspiration. And uh, maybe a week or so later, we're going to we're going church hopping and we got to our church house of inspiration. And I blacked out again. And when I, when I came to myself, I had crawled to the pulpit. And when I began to tell God, yes, I'll do it, yes, I'll preach. You know, in the old church, you had to have a witness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, I, yes, God, I'm going to do this and that other. And Mother Willa Lewis, going to heaven now, she's on the piano. Mother Willa Lewis says, um, I can witness to that. God's hand is on him. And uh, this is a God move. So I said yes to God. And that was uh, 
I was 18, going to 19, and the rest is history. But I didn't start pastoring the church until until I was 22. So I was running around. I was youth pastor at two different churches for a season, Greater New Mount Eagle and New Faith. Uh, I did youth services. I was, I was the youth day preacher. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, in the National Baptist world and Kojic world, second Sunday in June was always youth day. Mm. And so, you know, I'm I'm preaching to all the churches. I got me a card printed. said, half message will preach. <laughs> you know, from half gun will travel. <laughs> and I was preaching across the city. Yeah. And in those whole uh, years of of matriculating to a call, uh, I got a little popularity under my belt. Yes, sir. You know, because this is Chicago. I know Chicago. And by me having the Baptist plus the Pentecostal blend, people appreciated that. And uh, I don't know many churches of note in Chicago that I have not been to, if it wasn't more than make remarks at a funeral. And I don't know many of at all that God didn't let me preach at. Yeah. So I get to this church, and most people think I started it. But Sweet Holy Spirit had already been started and by the late Reverend Herbert Hawkins. And then there was a Reverend Percy Robeson. But uh, they both have said, well, Hawkins died. Mm-hmm. I always tell people the choir killed him. But that's a whole other story. That's a uh, uh, boy. I know you can get some calls on that. No. <laughs> hey, Chicago's known for community choirs, gospel yeah. choirs. So the story is that Reverend Hawkins had an engagement to preach on that Friday night. But most of the choir belonged to the Southside Community Choir, and they decided to go with the musician. And so Reverend Hawkins went to rehearsal on that Saturday night to let them know how he was feeling, how he felt about it. And he was hot, and he went in the car, had a heart attack, and died. So I was telling those that were there, then, see, y'all killed the man. But so he started the church in 1974. Okay. He died in 76. So he only pastored two years. And he went without a pastor uh, from 76 uh, to 78. And they had this guy, Percy Roberson. And he pastored for two years. And uh, I became the pastor in 81. Okay. And I had a handful of members, maybe 20, 25, 22. I think we said about 22 because when they voted, uh, they had the election. There were two other pastors that were in the election. And when they voted, it was 22 people that voted. Mm-hmm. And I got 18 out of 22. Wow, that's so good. I, that's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. So I've been there ever since. Were you, um, when they voted you in, were you nervous a little bit? I didn't want it. And people called me and asked me would I put my resume in. I said, no. <laughs> I was happy being a youth pastor. Yeah. And I'm having like, and this is back in in 81. I got 50, 60 youth in my my Sunday school. And then Pastor Rogers had me preach every fourth Sunday. So I was content with that. Mm. And then Pastor Leroy Taylor, New Faith, 8400 Hostel, he brought me over there to be his youth pastor. Mm-hmm. So I'm already preaching second and fourth Sunday. I got I got these young people. Yeah. Still have a community choir. I didn't want to pastor. Yeah. So uh, when I say I was nervous, but I was a little disappointed. Mm. 
Because mm-hmm. at the same time, when Sweet Holy Spirit was seeking me as pastor, there was another church called Pioneer mm-hmm. that was looking at me as pastor, and there's another church called Pleasant Grove mm-hmm. on the west side. So I'm talking to a friend of mine, uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, uh, if I got a pastor, I would rather uh, Pioneer because mm-hmm. they had a church building. And secondly, I would prefer Pleasant Grove because they had good singing. Yeah. And it was a quartet. So I, I said, and Lord, if I got to do this, don't give me sweet Holy Spirit. And and I got home one day, one Sunday, preaching for Bishop Tears. I got home, and the, the voicemail said, call Richard O, call Richard O's. I'm calling him for I'm going back to preach right now. <laughs> And then he called again mm-hmm. about one, two-ish, and said, congratulations, Pastor. I said, congratulations? He said, yeah, congratulations. We decided to take a vote, and you won as pastor. <laughs> and we want you to come. That is funny. We want you to come hilarious. to a 3.30 musical and receive us. And so I said, uh, another friend of mine, the late, Philip Sneed, mm-hmm. he had a choir, and uh, said, Sneed, what am I going to do? Because I, I didn't have a car. Yes, sir. You know, I was on the bus going around preaching. And he said, I'm going to come get you, and you just go in there and preach. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I don't know what else to do. He said, that's all you got to do. Yeah. Do what God called you to do. I went there, and they all applauded me. And uh, uh, it was funny because I, I remember the song that they sang uh, went, went before me getting up to preach. It was the late uh, uh, Jackie Jackie Bass. Mm-hmm. He was a stout little guy, and he said, "Didn't it rain, children? Rain, oh my lord! Didn't it rain? Didn't yeah. it rain? Didn't it rain, oh my lord! Didn't it rain?" <laughs> and I got to church, and I'm I'm saying to people, "Okay, if we're gonna do this, I need everybody here on Saturday. We're gonna clean this church up." They had one of them old pictures of Jesus on them rug kind of thing mm-hmm. on the back uh, in the back of the choir stand. I said that thing got to go, and they had these flower pots that were made out of egg cartons. I said those things got to go. So everybody that knew me was saying, "Them people gonna fire you the first week." <laughs> <laughs> and so they offered me uh, forty dollars a week to be the pastor. And I took it, and uh, I pastored those people for a minute. Yeah, for forty dollars a week. Yeah, and then I'm, you know, I'm getting to the point where I got these two babies, and by the time I bought Similac or mm-hmm. Inf- Infamy, I don't know what they do now, but those were two of the main uh, formulas. My forty dollars was pretty gone <laughs> every week. Yeah, and so I told him, you know, y'all gonna have to do a little better for me because I'm, I'm working. I get on the train at Moody, and I would take it down to from Adams to Seventy um, Ninth Street, mm-hmm. and I would get off the train and go to the church. And uh, anyway, I said to him, y'all gotta, we don't have any way right now uh, to do any more. So I had changed the rules. When I got there, the people smoked. In the in the hallway, and all outside, I said, "We ain't gonna smoke in God's house." Da da da. Mm-hmm. And nowhere around it, you know. Take that home with you. So I get up 
to go to the washroom one day, and the gentleman who was uh, playing the organ, I don't know what Johnny's last name was, was smoking. And so uh, now they were paying him $80 and paying the pastor $40. So I said, one, he violated. Two, I need the $80. (laughs) So three, you got to go. That's my my first church fight. Oh, uh, Pastor Trotter, Larry Trotter, and fired Johnny, and Johnny was there. So I said, but Johnny was smoking. Yeah. You know, and you get, you get all the rumors where he just wanted the extra money. So I get the choir rehearsal. Mm. They just grumbling. Wait, who going to get it? Who going to play for us? We, we ain't got no musician. Johnny been faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got in there. They didn't know I played. Mm. And I said, musician, be here in a minute. I walked up to the organ, pulled the draw bars out, and said, okay, sopranos, alto, tennis. And so I I preached and played Mm. every Sunday for four or five years. Wow. Even to the point of I got it down to a science where I say, I'm closing, y'all, and I go to the organ. And then you close with your, you play behind your own self. I had to do it. (laughs) So were you like in the pulpit and then went to the organ? Mm -hmm. I'm talking. (laughs) I got the mic in. Uh, uh, I say, you know, we got to get out of here. I'm walking to the organ. And God has been good to us. Yeah. And uh, by the time I'm to the organ, I'm closing, (laughs) y'all. Yes. (laughs) Pull the draw bars out, just go to work. play. Did an invitation from the organ, then I would get back off the organ to do the closing uh, remark or take people in if they join. Whoa! Ah, I need to put some of that in the next book because I yeah, never told man. all of that. Yeah. Yes. So then, what what happened? What transpired where the <clears throat> church started to grow? Um, I was committed to not being norm normal. And I guess I would have been considered in this day, the millennium, yeah, uh, the generation X. Yeah. I'm, I'm 22, and you know, non-traditional. So I decided that we were gonna have a come as you are day. Mm. There was no such thing in '82, '83, of women wearing pants in church. Oh. And we so you're breaking the, the rules. I'm breaking all the rules. <laughs> we pitched a tent on the side of the church. The late Lacey Banks, boy, you make me remember some people. Yeah. Preach revival. And uh, on that first Sunday of Come As You Are Month, we took in something like 40 people. Then 80 people and on and on. And I was catching hell from the older members yeah. and what have you. Even though I contained it to once a month. They still thought that was just horrible, and but so the, the Baptist Ministers Alliance and what have you, they call themselves going to meet on me. Uh, the church is uh, church is uh, its own self, but you know they still kind of shared I, ideas. But you can tell them about church. Church is autonomous. Yeah, but still, you know, we're trying to get them women over there in pants. Da, 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 da. But it worked. So unique days like that and strong preaching, structured services. Anyone knows church, what services went on and on and on. And, and you know, that wasn't heard of back then. And I got, I got, uh, 
I got accused of rushing the spirit. Oh, wow. Because you know, they had devotion, and the deacon would start with one song, and then you're going to uh, do the Dr. Watt, and then it was another song, another prayer, and do a Dr. Watt, and then it was, come and go with me. And uh, that was wonderful, but it was too long. Yeah. So, you know, special days, uh, killing traditions, and being consistent. Yes, sir. And preaching and starting on time. These people would have, would be notorious about starting late. Your service was supposed to be 11 o'clock. They start, we're waiting on somebody, waiting on somebody else, 11, 20, 11, 30. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, oh, no. Oh, no. I believe that if we put 11 o'clock on the sign That's what and don't start, start at 11 o'clock, that God moves on somewhere else. Because we meet God at 11 o'clock, but not 11, 30. So I taught that principle for years that we got to meet God at the time we say we're going to meet him. Woo! If it was 11 o'clock or if it was 3.30, and we did. And um, people respected the fact that we respected their time. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that helped uh, in the growth. So a lot of things that uh, some of which I probably wouldn't bring out if I wouldn't have a conversation yes, sir. like this, but it made me think. And so I'm thinking, you know, 40, almost 50 years ago. Yes, sir. And uh, so, so it, it was a whole lot of things that happened. Yes, sir. But I thank God for the journey. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So we grew. I, I was in that building, 7650 Laughlin, for, let's see, 81, 82, 83, 84, four years. Yes, sir. And four years, we're packed in this building. Only, it only seated 100 people. And we're packed in there, and it's hot. And so uh, one of the gentlemen, older guy, that used to kind of host preachers and have pots of soup and salad, and their preachers over there, his name was Herman Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And he said to me one day, he said, now try to, try to you know, if you get out that hole in the wall, <laughs> the Lord will bless you. He said, there's a building on 103rd Street that this man trying to sell. And I said, Ferguson, we ain't got no money. Yeah. We barely making it. But anyway, we went out there, and I met with Reverend Chappelle. And uh, there were several people asking for it, but he felt led to sell it to us. And I, we couldn't get a mortgage, couldn't get a loan. Mm-hmm. He said, I will hold the paper. And um, I'll never forget it because it was years. The note at that time 1985, we moved in March 3rd, 1985. The note was $2,199.42. The reason I know it so well is because a lot of months we didn't have it. And I had to borrow it from my godmother. We had to have a musical or program, as they would call it, to get the note. But once we got there, this building sat like, like 300. And then we knocked a wall down. And Bishop Hudson is there now. And it's, uh, he rearranged it. But um, when I sold it to him, it was seating like 600. Mm. And we were having uh, three services at that time. And so we grew from there, grew from there. And I thank God when I look back, all the pitfalls, all my mistakes. Yes, sir. All my errors. Because I'm, I'm going I'm to look at me before I look at anybody else. Yes, sir. And so... Um, 
And I talk about that uh, in the last two books. One is Living Above Sea Level, mm-hmm. which is on Amazon, and then The Diary of the Church Boy. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll give a copy for you, Lee. Yes, sir. Yeah. So it's been good. What up, y'all? I'm Rajay, and I'm interrupting the pod to present an opportunity for y'all to support the brand and the fam. So do this for me. Head over to RajayXShaw.com, click the merchandise tab, and grab a hoodie, t-shirt, or hat. And remember this thing. No matter what people say or think, live your life. Now back to the episode. So tell me about how the... um music came about hearing you talk now i realized that you started the community choir before becoming a pastor is that true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how old were you when you started the community choir high school we got put out of high school i guess 17 okay mm-hmm. what made you want to do that i didn't want to what i was saying they put us out of the school right and so the choir wanted to stay together yes and that evolved myself and lamont lennox and the late rosin Patton to say okay we're going to start our own community choir. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we were holier than everybody. <laughs> so we said, we ain't going to be the Trotter Community Choir. We ain't going to be this faith singer. We're going to be Youth Holiness. <laughs> youth That's the name of the choir. Tata Bosha. And we was holy. And we, you know, so we walk in a program. And if they looked like they weren't holy. We Y'all would leave. We, no, we sit on them until we got up because we, we was holy. <laughs> Uh, I never forget it. So after after that season, we decided to dwindle down. Okay, because people would graduate, move, and what have you. And we kept the name, but we took youth out, and we became Love Holiness. Okay, yeah, until it fizzled. Uh, but we were lo- the Love Holiness singers, and uh, they kept it going. You mm-hmm. know, but that was the that was part of the foundation uh, for the music in. Right. Now, I'm, uh, Chicago's a broadcast town. Mm-hmm. So you had church broadcasts all day long. And um, I'm listening to the church broadcast. It's all, you know, at 10 o'clock was Reverend Murphy and Rosa Sharon. And 11 o'clock was Corinthian Temple and Alice and them. I come that you might have like, yeah. And mm-hmm. then, you know, down the line, 3 o'clock was Greater Harvest, 4 o'clock was New Nazareth, 5 o'clock was High Park Bible Church, 6 o'clock was Shiloh. Dang, you remember that? I don't know. That's crazy. 7 o'clock was, they say I need to write a book on this. I'm a church historian. Seven, I said, I knew I was at. 7 o'clock was Faith Temple Church of God in Christ. 7.30, there was a little lady that had musicals every Sunday. It was called the Meacham uh, Youth Center. Mm-hmm. And choirs went to sing her program. And the 8 o'clock was Omega. 9 o'clock was Fellowship, Reverend Clay Evans. 10 o'clock, you had option of going to Bishop Ford, Bishop uh, Anderson at Redeeming, or you can go to T.L. Barrett at Mount Zion, or you can go to Marvin Yancey at Found the Light. You know, Marvin Yancey that married Natalie Cole. Yeah. That's a whole other story, <laughs> how we married them in the car, taxi, a car, I should say. And then 11 o'clock, you could go to First Church of Deliverance if you want anthems. Or you go to Milton Brunson's mm. uh, Christ Tabernacle on the west side, or uh, missing one. Anyway, eleven o'clock. So we had these churches, and I'm saying, it, I guess this is the pattern. Chicago was known as the pastor and the choir. Not that way anymore, but you know, 
We had Clay Evans and Fellowship. Yeah. We had uh, Maceo Woods and Christian Tabernacle. Yeah. We had Milton Brunson. So you always saw the pastor and Evelyn Davis and Trinity All Nation. And so we were known for that. So I'm saying, I got to build my choir up to become that. And we started having great musicals and all. And one year, uh, Ty Scott Records, Mark Hubble was working for Ty Scott. And he said, they want to talk to you about recording. Me record? And the rest was history. So our first five projects were on Ty Scott Records. And they were all Bishop Larry Trotter and the Sweet Holy Spirit Choir. Yeah. The Lord is blessing me right now. Trouble don't last always. It's only a test. Prayer will move it. My worship is for real. And it goes on for 11 projects. And so now that I, we just sang a gospel fest uh, yesterday, I think it was. And, it, you know, the people, they honored me. The people stood by the thousands. Yeah. And they said, well, how many of y'all appreciate the music of Destiny Worship Center? They got cla- claps. And the music of Acme and Janet directed. But when they got to Bishop Trotter and Sweet Holy Spirit. Now I'm on a cane now. I want to put the cane down and walk up there and greet the people. <laughs> But uh, so it has become a part of who we are. Yeah. Good singing. Yeah. Good preaching. I mean, it's part of our DNA. And I know this is a day of praise and worship. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. And we do that. We probably one of the first churches that had a praise team. But give me a choir any day. Yes. I'm a choir man. Clearly. Yeah. Did you Did you have any idea that it would turn out the way it did? No, no, not, not, not at all. So you just started a choir because that's the pattern. No, the church had a decent choir, choir already. That and that's yeah. the thing I wanted to know. Yeah, and they and they could sing, uh, and they like other churches back in that day. Everybody had a three thirty or four o'clock program. I don't know why it vacillated, but in Chicago, it was three thirty and four o'clock. Later on, they started doing three o'clock and six. Mm-hmm. But in those afternoon services, you had a monthly musical. So ours was third Sunday, and so uh, y'all come to us on third mm-hmm. Sunday and go to y'all on fourth Sunday. Yes, sir. And so fellowship, as we knew it, was fellowship. Yeah. So I, oh, uh, that's the Shira and the McGee Temple Church, and that's yeah. so and so and so. We did those kind of things, and they knew each other. Yeah. And out of that, we wanted to always be the best. Yes, sir. When people came. Yes, sir. And so, you know, as I moved out of that whole role, I had to get others to fill it mm-hmm. on up to these last last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Of course, with uh, Vashon Mitchell. And he got his start with us. How? But, yeah, I want you to tell me about that, too. For people who don't know, uh-huh. where did he come from? Vashon was a little snotty nose boy. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, Jordan called it St. Mark's, St. Mark's Baptist Church uh, in Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was working with Lonnie Hunter, if you know the name Lonnie Hunter. No, I don't. Who was that? Uh, Lonnie Hunter recorded quite a few things with St. Mark. He's now in Jersey. Okay. I, I, his songs don't hit me right now, but they were they were uh, charted songs. Yes, sir. And I think he won a couple of Stella's, what have you. So Vashon was there. And they weren't using him. So he stayed a little bit, and he started coming over to Sweet Holy Spirit. 
And I gave it an opportunity to teach and to sing. And so we're building this relationship. And one day we were at the Gospel Music Workshop of America. And I took Vashon and Rick and Vinny, took the whole team, and we're going up the escalator. And uh, uh, who was it I had let go? Anyway, I can't remember who was before Vashon. And I turned around and said, I call him Vashon. I say, Vashon? <laughs> he said, yes, Bishop. I said, uh, when we get home, you're going to be the minister of music. And the boy started shaking and looking strange. And I said, what? And so we got downstairs. He said, what did she? We got off the escalator. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're going to lead the music department. If I don't give some younger people a chance, it will always be the old folks' leadership. And so it was a paradigm shift because we had never had a minister of music who was not at least 40 and above. Here this guy, 20 years old, and you're making him minister music of this church that's growing like crazy. The rest is history. So Bashan basically was raised around our house, hanging in. Absolutely. You know, hanging in our house. Matter of fact, uh, my worship is for real. Uh, Bashan had gotten uh, uh, locked up for um, parking tickets, and uh, we had to go and get him scared him to death to be in Cook County Jail. Yeah. He took a napkin and began to write, you don't know my story. And all Jeez. the things that I've been through, you can't feel my pain. Don't try to figure it out. Because my worship is free. And Vashon remained faithful all of those years until the pastor in uh, Georgia uh, asked him to come. Mm-hmm. And we gave him a release and he went down uh, to work with this pastor. He flew up on his jet uh, I can't call the name of his name now. I don't think the church is uh, in existence, but Bashan worked there for a major period of time. Yeah. And out of that experience was when he really hit the top. Yeah. When he uh, recorded that song, and uh, it, it just went, it just went haywire. Yeah. And you know, you say, what's Bashan mentioned? You know, nobody greater. Yes, sir. Everybody knew nobody greater. And actually, he didn't write it, and that became a controversial issue, but he did record it. Yes. And co-write it. Uh, Rashawn has not ceased to tell his story about his home, who he's with. We were just in Oklahoma City, and uh, uh, we shared together and, and, and fellowship together. When he gets up, he tells people, got my start. Yeah. Sweet Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. And uh, he doesn't erase that. Yes, sir. But, you know, if I guess I was to journal it, and musically I'd have to say, you know, the Lonnie Mack years. Uh, Lonnie Mack is an older lady who is highly respected in gospel music. She wrote a lot of songs for James Cleveland, the mm-hmm. O'Neill Twins and others, mm-hmm. uh, into Nate Chavis and Vinnie Hunley, and from them into Vashon Mitchell. Yeah. Which under Vashon, uh, my other son came up in our church, Rick Robinson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rick is producing for people. Yeah. Uh, he's married to Anita Wilson. Yeah. And uh, my oldest granddaughter is uh, Rick's daughter because he was formerly married to my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. So you got the Rick era, the Vashon era. I can start naming the musicians that came through there. Name them. Oh, boy. So one time, one Sunday, uh, 
church jam pack. I don't know which service it was. I used to write for Teresa Harrison, mm-hmm. Gospel Today. Mm-hmm. And I was the editor of the Gospel Today magazine, the religious editor. So Teresa would visit periodically. But I remember this because she made me understand our worth. One Sunday, uh, Teresa comes up to me, because there wasn't no text and all that, uh, at the end of service. And she said, you know, I've never seen this. You can record any Sunday because you got all studio musicians. So I said, well, what do you mean? You say you got Rick Robinson uh, on, the, on the organ. You got uh, Brian Lofton on the piano. You got Maurice Fritzgerald on the bass. You got Calvin Rogers on the drums. You got Joey Wolfolk on the lead. And then you, uh, you and uh, James and Vashon are directing and singing. So, you know, so you look at that. And when you look at the other testimonies that, you know, Ricky Dillard spent years, years with us, Donald Lawrence uh, would come and to the 930 service. And he'll tell you this and use the sermons to write songs. <laughs> I preached a sermon after this show. You shall live made a song. We preached a sermon, the blessing of Abraham. He made a song. And so he'd come almost every Sunday, never joined, but he came almost every Sunday for several years before he went with Bill Winston. So that there is a, a wealth, a plethora of those kind of stories that we, you know, we were able to produce. Yeah, man. And uh, so when people give me the love, whether it's at the workshop or whether it's at the Stellas, or I have to say, wow, did we do all of that? Yeah. Yeah, y'all knew about our music in Carolina. Listen, I was introduced to you from a very good friend of mine. I grew up in Quartet. Mm-hmm. So my family, my dad's family, my mom's family, both Quartet families. Eventually, I got connected with one of my friends who listened to like a lot of choir music. And he's like, yo, man, you need to check out. Bishop Larry Trotter, man, you need to hear Calvin Rogers. You need to hear this song. You need to hear this. And he would play, um, I think it's called You Can Tell the Devil I'm Back or something like Tell that. Tell the Devil I'm Back. Man, he would mm-hmm. play, man, you hear that? I'm like, yeah, man, I hear it. Like, no, do you hear it? And then he would have me like study Sweet Holy Spirit because as a keyboard player, I was quartet. So he's like, man, no, you need to learn how to do some other stuff. So then he would tell me to listen, to, like study this. And I'm a drummer too. So he's like telling me about all these people. And then I'm like, they from where? They from Chicago, man. Everybody there can play real good. I'm like, really? He like this person. I mean, he would name them. Like all the people you name, he was telling me about them, Vashon, all the people. So that's how I was introduced to the fact that you even existed. And I studied it. Like Daniel Witherspoon, a lot of people from here, I studied from. Bishop Larry Trotter and Sweet Holy Spirit from one of my friends who listened to y'all religiously. Wow, Daniel Witherspoon. I did his wedding That's in crazy. Washington, D.C. Oh, wow, years ago. But, you know, Daniel was music director for Ty Scott. And so we got connected in the Ty Scott uh, circle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as church choirs, there were just a few. But their main uh, group in that day was John P. Key. He was the main artist, and then, you know, it, it grew from there mm-hmm. until, until at which time I decided we need to start our own label. 
you know, because we were just, you know, we were just making uh, records, as they say, yeah, and receiving no revenue. As they say. That's that's another thing I wanted to ask you about, <laughs> like, because it's good. Like, people don't know that you could be popular and broke. Like, people don't know you could sell millions of records and hardly see any of that money. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like for you? Because number one, you have two totally different things going on. Like, it's one thing for the choir to be good in the church. It's another thing for the choir to be a recording choir along with you pastoring. What was it like managing, like, leading the choir, being the pastor, and then having to handle business? Um, People ask me that because I I cook and I was presiding bishop and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But even in the arena where you ask it, I think the key is in knowing which hat to wear at which time. Yes, sir. So on Sunday morning, I had to be pastor preacher. I'm going on the road to preach. I had to be evangelist. But then if we're doing a concert, I was an artist. And so I had to take off my artist hat and put on my pastoring hat because so-and-so's brother died. Uh, and, And because you're moving so fast unless you got a good manager you end up managing a whole lot in the area of music and ministry so i've I've had to uh wear several hats yes sir and i think the success of it uh in any of in any of our ministry is knowing which hat you're wearing now yes sir just take hats off yes sir was it was it ever difficult or stressful at times oh yes <laughs> boy Especially when I went into full gospel and things start growing to another level, you know, I'm I'm one of the founding fathers of the full gospel. Got consecrated in 1993, and in Chicago, that was taboo. The preachers was fighting. Uh, what y'all was trying to say? We ain't preaching the full gospel. It got bad. They got consecrated and had to take a lot of lickings. But back then, there was no such thing, pretty much as a legitimate bishop in the Baptist church. Uh, there was no such thing as women pastors other than a few that trinkled through after Mother York. Uh, there was no such thing as intentional praise and worship. So everybody's watching us. We we know devotion. We know congregational singing, but we don't know about this stuff about getting in the presence. So whatever those distinctives were for full gospel became a part of what Larry, we we were full gospel for the city, yeah. And a lot of churches would send their praise and worship leaders to learn to learn from us. Wow! Even if they didn't say it, facts they'd be sitting in there, you know, <laughs> taking notes. Like, yeah, we need to do that. We need to have this, that. Yeah. So yeah. you became the blueprint, so to speak. Yes, we became blueprint in a lot of ways, and I thank God for it. You know, He could have used somebody else. Yes, sir. So you know. Every time I think that it's done or that, you know, and uh, one of my preacher's sons said, if you never did anything else, never wrote another book, never recorded, your handprint cannot be erased. Absolutely. That's a fact. And so the next pastor of Sweet Holy Spirit will have to take it to the next place. And I say stuff like that and they'll say, well, you ain't done yet. You still got vision in you. And I guess I do. As long as the Lord give me health. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I can give it a few more years. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So 
once the choir starts recording and the hits start coming, does that like does the church actually grow from the popularity of the choir? Part of it, yes. Yeah. And the danger of having a good choir is when uh, churches push the music only. People come from everywhere to hear our choir. But I decided I didn't want to just be a musical church. So I decided that they're going to hear a word, too. Yes, sir. So as the choir grew, I took my studying uh, uh, more serious. Because you knew more people were going to come. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to just come hear the choir. So when it first started growing like that in our service, choir sang three, four songs on Sunday. And I started to two and the preacher. I cut all the fat out. Yeah. And there's some, now your listeners will be, uh, this is going to shock me when I make this statement. There's some ramifications that came or come now with a popular good singing choir. Yeah. And so they said, well, you know, I have a choir, you're going to have a lot of sisters. I said, oh, there I go. Yeah, one, one man said, you ain't got, you don't have a choir unless you got one good tenor. And he told, and, uh, <laughs> but you know, I love people. I never, ba- I guess I used to bash and beat them up, but it's true. Yeah. You, that guy carried a tenor section and we look at, you know, and everybody's not open with their uh, lifestyle, but it, it was a truism. He said, yeah. every singing choir got somebody uh, of an alternative lifestyle. Yeah. So, and musicals and choirs, we got branded years ago as the gay church. Wow. And I was the gay pastor because I ain't putting everybody out of church. Mm. So now I look back now and say, okay, all y'all, <laughs> all y'all got some of the people that were rejected in y'all's churches. Yeah. So you were one of the leading pastors in accepting everybody? I, I would say one, uh, right? Reverend Evans started years ago, just recently, you know, whosoever will. And a lot of them, I stand on their shoulders now. But when I look back over it, I guess we did. Yeah. When AIDS hit, mm-hmm. um, the late Pastor Eugene Gibson was my pastor at the time. He called everybody baby, baby. So a young man died in our church, and he called me and said, baby, you can't have that funeral at the church. Got to have it at the funeral home. I said, why not? You know, that's, it's going to send the wrong message. You're going to hurt da, da, da. I couldn't see, and I know they were still not understanding AIDS and HIV. So funeral homes would charge you an additional $200, $300 because the person embalming had to put on like an astronaut suit. Mm. And so here I am, and I decided to go ahead and do my member's funeral. And... Everybody wondering what I'm going to say. Am I going to deal with this lifestyle? They were lined up down 103rd Street because no church would allow, at that point, AIDS funerals. And so here we are. So God moved in my life. And so, you you know, it could be you, me, uh, anybody. Uh, But those people can't be rejected. So we started ministry at Cook County Hospital, which is now Stroger Hospital, and my assignment, and I took it, was HIV AIDS ward. And we would go in there. Uh, I knew this was something tedious. It was scary. Kind of like 
uh, COVID was scary. But I remember going in there and they would tell you, put on this and put on that. And I told the uh, chaplain, Carol was her name, I'm not going to wear all that. I don't want the patient to feel like, oh, so I took a risk. I should say I took the power of God. He said, if Jesus said, if you tread on serpents, I tread on serpents. And when I saw them people, every Wednesday we would roll them into the big, into the chapel, have service. Those that were bedridden, and so I think that also our outreach to the rejected started bringing more people into the house of prayer and into our branch of Zion. Sweet Holy Spirit. Yeah, because it's almost like with with that pattern of you breaking traditions, it's one thing to break the internal rules, but then it's another thing to because ex- like church has this thing where they like, hold on, I'm going to get it for you. Church has this thing where they're kind of like always like preaching to the choir, so so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so from what I'm hearing from you, It's water, not vodka, yo. <laughs> so look, from what I'm hearing from you, you kind of said, um, you kind of broke the rules in every area of it. Like to have the come as you are Sunday to then say, okay, I'm going to have the choir, but it's not going to just be about just the music. And then to say, I accept all people to take on the responsibility of going to the AIDS and HIV ward. Like, where does it come from for you to, like, be a thought leader in that way? Because you could have you could have just done what everybody else does, and I'm sure your life would have been fine. Why not just do what everybody else did? I, I uh, back to Mother York, I never forget her words. One day we go going to Cook County Jail, and I would carry the cashews, big old 100-pound bags of cashews, going through and one day she said to me others may but you may not what that mean mother others may do this and that other but you may not and so I saw that as a pattern others may reject people but you may not so we get here go back to another church fight this young lady got pregnant in the choir and they come to me and saying "Uh, now pastor you want to have her apologize to the church and I did a whole series of messages on that. It was called Drop the Rock. You who without sin, let me see you throw the rock at her. As a matter of fact, why y'all do this kind of stuff? And don't bring the guy. It took two to make the baby. And then why is she apologizing to a bunch of people that's screwing each other anyway? And just never got caught. Facts. And, man, I say stuff like that, and it got me in trouble. But it's true. It is true. It's true. They never asked a fella to come up. Yeah. And, and and you are apologizing to a church of imperfect people. And right in front of our eyes, we don't want to say it, but it happens. The deacon's going with the usher. Yeah. Somebody screwing somebody. In the alto is screwing the tenor. <laughs> come on. Facts. And I'm apologize to you, and you've been at the club all night. So when I killed that and people start studying, you know, he got something there. Uh, 
it was all about issuing another level of grace. So I, others may, but you may not. Others may judge, but I couldn't mm. because my calling was unique. Others may be bound to tradition, but I couldn't because God gave us a free spirit. And uh, it has hurt and it has helped. Uh, one of my uh, one of my best-selling, I said best read, most read articles in Gospel Today was help. Mm-hmm. I got gays in my church. And that thing went viral, as they call it now, because these are controversial things that uh, people didn't talk about. One year in full gospel, uh, and long live the cassette. We had cassettes and yes, sir. We had cassette and commercials and what have you. One year in full gospel, I sold four thousand cassettes of the sermon. What to do when you get horny? Yeah, that was controversial. Another one was, who that is? That's my baby daddy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if it's written anywhere. Maybe I should write it. But I found that, and I know now everybody streams and there's other, so it's not cassette, it's not CD. You know, some of the more advanced preachers are doing downloads of their sermons. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it, I think the most controversial ones are the ones and the most transparent ones are the ones that bless the people. Yes. Yes. Anybody can preach faith. We all can preach praise. But who deals with what you do after church? Yeah. And you're horny. Yeah. So, you know, here I was at that point, a single pastor, and going home and listening to the voicemail, uh, listening to the answering machine yeah. to see who I'm going to go out with tonight. <sighs> but she said that. Yeah. You're in a uh, you're in a church with a thousand people, mm-hmm. everybody loving on you, or five hundred people, whatever, and you having an anointed serve anointing service. Emotions are high. People are around you. This this is the whole thing about single pastors that I could teach, and um, then you go home, and there's nobody but you, and so. Hormones are out of control. In Mark's book, Sins of the Body, he says the majority of faith leaders that fail, fail on Sunday night or Monday. Because we don't teach people how to protect the anointed. You know, that's my pastor, he's single, or that's the evangelist we love, and you know, she got to go to his hotel room by herself. And, uh, I did a teaching for Kirk Franklin on uh, the danger of hotels. Because you go in these rooms, there's a spirit. You know, and if you're on the road long enough, the maid start looking looking good to you. Help me, sir. Can you help me? Help me. I don't, I don't speak no English. She started looking and saying, I need to get home and get some or something. <laughs> So wives have to understand yeah. that when the husband come down, or vice versa, uh, women that are in, mm-hmm. you know, her her husband need to understand that she needs an extra amount of attention mm. because emotions are all over the place. That's good. And uh, 
I don't know if I mastered it, but I've uncovered it enough to be able to help young ministers, young couples. Yes, sir. I did. I did this, and this has been uh, several years ago now. I did a a couple of weeks session with young women that's on the road. Mm -hmm. What to do, what not to do. Yes, sir. Because you know, I mean, sex is sex. We're out there. Yes, sir. People come on to you. How do you respond? How do you keep your name? All of that. Yes, sir. And we, we have to look at that because ain't nobody teaching that. And ain't nobody teaching young pastors to be careful. You know, what do you do when some, and, and when somebody comes to your office and they got the hots for you or whatever, they've been flirtatious, and she say, uh, I got my panties in my purse. That's real. And you trying to say, now do I please God? Or do I do what I feel? Because this ain't no ugly woman. Yeah, talk. And, and, and think that, you know, it ain't going to never get out. Mm. So in that moment of decision, you got a whole lot. That was That's too costly for me. Yeah. That was going to cost me boom, 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 boom. Nobody want to talk about it. But it happens on the road as an evangelist. You're standing there signing uh, CDs and what have you and, and books and I can count countless numbers of time and somebody gave me a little brown envelope with a hotel key to it. Yeah. Like, you know, come over and see me. So I pray that uh, this next era of pastors Yes, sir. will learn to be more transparent. Yes, sir. And maybe they can pull some of us in before we go off the scene to pick our brains and say, how you deal with this? How you deal with that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because we don't. We don't have many fathers. Yes, sir. We don't have many fathers. I'm in the Bible territory. We have many, many leaders who are willing to tell their journey. Yes, sir. So tonight, today, whenever somebody's viewing this, we are standing on somebody else's shoulders. Yep. What up, y'all? I'm Rajay, and I want to say first, thank y'all for the support. Thank y'all for the love, and thank y'all for watching and listening to this podcast. We really don't take it for granted. Hey, if y'all want to continue to support us by spending y'all money, I got a way for y'all to do that. Y'all go to rajxshaw.com and pick up that Make It Happen hoodie today. Life be crazy, but we still got to do what? Make it happen. Gang. So speaking of transparency, I'm going to get to some of the personal stuff in your life. So choir is growing, church is growing. Did you get to a place? Were you married? Mm -hmm. When did you get married in that process? In that process? Uh, When I came to the church, I was married. I went through a season of divorce and I remarried uh, in, in 88. And, uh-huh. and I was married to Celeste twenty, almost twenty five years, but during that, during that process, uh, as some people say, it was it difficult when you've been a single pastor mm-hmm. to introduce your bride to the church and they accept them or what have you? But I always was uh, upfront with my people, and so uh, I got up one Sunday night and I said, um, "Listen." I'm not going to be hiding and having to meet uh, my friend around the corner because he had another. <laughs> I said, so I want y'all to know, 
Uh, this is the lady I'm seeing. Don't ask us no question. If you go any further, I'll tell you. But I ain't even, anybody. But I wanted to. I wanted yeah, to be free. That's right. That's good. And you know, we don't talk about Christian dating. Yeah, we don't talk about it. and dating and ministry a whole other thing. And I said, wow. But you know, that was uh, that was a, a wonderful season. It became a difficult season as the marriage went downhill. Talk about it. Yeah, I say to people that divorce is like a death. Yes, sir. Because a great part of you, whatever you've been with, is dead, whatever you had. And you've been with somebody 20-something years, all of a sudden, y'all don't get along, all of a sudden somebody, one of the others cheating, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. There's so many, uh, so many pastors that have gone through divorce. And I think we all learn after handling it the wrong way. And uh, in my case, I think my difficult. Uh, when I hit rock bottom, we're living in this 11,000 square feet house. Six bedrooms, six bathrooms, two kitchen, kitchens, one up and down, movie room, billiard room, steam, sauna, whirlpool, walk-in closets, dining room, upper room, lower room. On a golf, on a golf course in a gated community, living at that point uh, next to Antoine Walker, a ball player. And uh, I had to realize when I hit rock bottom, I was nigger rich. Because I had every suit, every pair of gators, crocodiles, eel. And to look and say, what I got in the bank? What are we investing? I like what you said earlier about people can be popular and poor. Yes. And and I, I, so I got. I'm juggling all this. We're going our separate ways. And now I have my two youngest boys who say we're gonna stay with you. Mm. Now I'm on the road in and out. I'm presiding bishop of the United Covenant Churches of Christ. So I'll, you're having I'll, to do this while all that is going on. Oh yeah. Sheesh. I had to go through that season while that was going on and come home, you know, come home to see if I can manage. And I thank God for the saints that work with my sister and Brenda and some of the other people because I couldn't really be there for the boys like I wanted to. Their mother is, we're having a bad divorce. She's furious and it wasn't nice. And uh, the family's being divided, and I would come home, get off the plane, get in my limo, and drive up to the house and dread to go in. And one day, uh, Freddie was my driver, and I forget it, and so I get off the plane, ride to Tinley Park from O'Hare. And as we go into the gate, I say, Lord, give me the anointing to let this go. I'm trying to juggle a $7,000 house note, $1,000 a month, uh, light, gas, and I'm heating two rooms. The boys had their rooms upstairs. I'm talking me personally, me, even after they, they, even after they went. I'm saying, oh, 
I'm living out of the living room, I mean, out of the bedroom, kitchen. So all the rest of the house was just, and I didn't want to let it go. Because letting stuff go is interpreted in our society as failure. Yes. But when I let it go, I felt so much better. Yes, sir. Because, you know, God freed me of it. But then, of course, you know, you probably heard some of the rumors and the ramifications. They, they won't, the people won't let you just go through the fact that we ain't together. You know, um, and they, they want you to uh, uh, give them particulars. Mm. And if you don't give them particulars, they'll make up some. Mm. I had a young minister during the time of our divorce. So my wife filed in Cook County, which I found out later from some uh, upper-crust people, whatever you call it, white-collar, that if you're going to get divorced and you had a celebrity status, you should file in another county. I didn't know that. She didn't know that, I guess. She files for divorce, and um, one of the ministers had the nerve to go downtown and buy a copy of the divorce decree. And the reason I got to know about it, because one of my uh, dearest friends was the clerk there. And she, because that's her job, she couldn't say, why you want a copy of Bishop Trotter's divorce decree? Boy, but I let him have it. <laughs> why you need to know this? So when people don't know nothing about you, they make up stuff about you. And Bishop got divorced because uh, Lady Celeste caught him in the, in the uh, bed with three of the praise team girls. Good God. <laughs> oh, that one was that's that's a stretch. A, oh, that's a good one. I mean, Yo, that. that's wild. Versus Bishop Trotter is getting divorced because he's gay and he got caught with some boys or something. <laughs> oh. I mean, stuff started flying and I had to just be still. Mm-hmm. And, and some things you just have to let it outlive. Uh, those things but you know if you're not willing to tell people and I don't think people should they'll make up stuff yes sir so my kids have to hear this my church has to hear this those that are hanging in there with me yeah and so it got darker and darker and darker and uh, I don't wish it on anybody but uh, I know today as I talk to you that no, when divorce, no one person is at fault. Took two of y'all to get married. It took two of y'all to let things down. Whether that's the absence of forgiveness or working through things. So I'm saying, now, Lord, how much of this mm. is my fault? Sheesh. So I had to look and say, I'm in Africa, Addis Ababa, feeding hungry children. Great thing. Bishop, apostle, that's all the apostle work. But uh, I'm feeding hungry children, and my children at home hungry for their dad, their dad's attention. I'm going around the world preaching uh, somewhere every day, somewhere every week. I had to think that how much of the time that the wife needed or wanted that I wasn't there to fulfill for her. And we don't fulfill for each other. We start picking it up from the street. Or where we are. Yeah. So, you know, I got a lot of these things, but I'm here and I had to come out fighting. Yes, sir. And get up to the pulpit 
and say rock bottom don't mean nothing to God because God made the rock. And if I lost everything and still had Jesus, I got more than enough. Yes, sir. To start all over again. Yes, sir. It went viral. And these were prophetic declarations. What's to come is better than what's been. They all went viral. The, the worst part about it, when I look at hindsight, I ain't patting on them. Yeah, and I heard what's, let me tell you something. I've heard what's to come is better than what's been, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, people done wrote songs. I know a particular artist right now, That's he, he passed away recently, but that was one of his favorite things to say. Better, better. They all singing better now, better, better, B-E-T-T-A-H, better. Going to get better. Gonna, it all started with what's to come. It's better. And you take a, uh, you know, Hezekiah got a better song. Yeah. Uh, name, the, name the artist. Yeah, man. Everybody got a better song. But, yeah. But that was a prophetic utterance, I guess, for the kingdom. Yes. And uh, I didn't get paid on it or anything like that. And I think some things bless people that we should not look for revenue and uh, I was called and said said yes to God during an era where preachers didn't ask about an honorarium you packed your lunch uh, whatever and went yeah whatever they blessed you with that was fine because I was in Chicago one in the south so I ain't had nobody bring me some potatoes and chickens and stuff like they did to old preachers yeah but um so you started back then and kind of became like a celebrity pastor. Yeah. And then like the fame, the riches and all of that. What was it like? Were you shocked to see all of that growth happening? Like in your personal life? Mm-hmm. Like when your tax bracket changed and all? Oh, man. <laughs> when you look at the fact that uh, I have back in the 90s, it was common as preaching, singing, what have you, many times for me to make fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in a week. Sheesh. See, up and you fly and you go to such and such a place yeah. and they give you 3000 mm-hmm. You go home and you change and you go to such and such a convocation or convention and they give you 5000 and then you got your own love offering at home. That's it's a it's a hard pill to swallow when you come to a demise like divorce and people start treating you like you got the plague. Wow, so you're saying the calls stop. Oh God, yes. I when I announced uh, uh, what was going on with me and my divorce, I can tell and I preached across the world. I can count on one hand. How many pastors did not change or call me during that season? I honor this man. I don't know him well, um, but uh, Hilliard. Mm-hmm. I saw Hilliard in in the uh, Charles Crab House, and he we respect each other's ministry. Never had that conversation. Yeah, and he said to me, he said, "Well, Bishop, I'm praying with you. I hope things can work out." And he went. And he was one of the few people that called and checked on me. Mm. And, you know, so I'm handling all this in the midst of being sick. You know, at one point, and these are a lot of mixed stories. I don't have a chronological time. It's all good. Yeah, you know, at one point, I was uh, 
I was so sick and in pain that I had to take a Vicodin and uh, uh, what's the other one I'm trying to say? They call them opioids now. But I, I have to take a Vicodin and I take that other one two, three times on a Sunday and preach. Vicodin, oxycodone, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was called Fearset. Okay. These are hallucinating kind of drugs. Yeah. So you high up there. Yeah, you high. And I'm walking on a walker, and I got uh, one of them things that's draining me. And preach through that. And you deal with the Job problem. Mm-hmm. Job had three friends that came to see about him, and they sat there silent and looked at him. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they said, he must have sinned. And that's the pressure I felt from divorce and from sickness. He must have sinned, so we must stay back from him. They won't touch you. And so to this day, now you know it's different, and God gives different people to different seasons, but there are people, pastors, bishops, I could chart if we sat and talked about it that I went and preached, never took an offering, gave it back to the ministry. That I went and preached two nights to get the heat on, or get the furnace finished. And and so when I hit the bottom, there's rumors out there, so I ain't gonna touch Trotter. Even in privacy, to just call, hey man, can't have you this year. But, uh, just one check on you. I didn't get those calls. Mm. One time I flew to uh, New Orleans. This was a whole nother uh, scandal or whatever. Uh, I flew to New Orleans to preach for a guy uh, south of there. I want to say uh, Hammond, Hammond, Louisiana. And I'm I'm eating lunch, getting ready for them to pick me up. And uh, somebody called me and said, uh, Pastor said we he can't have you at this time. Woo. Woo. And so I went on Bourbon Street. <laughs> I said to me because it hurt me. I yeah. go I said this is me going back to my room crying. I might as well make good of this trip. Yeah. And go to Bourbon Street. And that that's the thing I wanted to ask you next. Like, how does that affect you, one, mentally and two, emotionally? It kills you. Mm-hmm. It kills you if you don't know how to handle it. You don't have nobody to talk to about it. And that thing it damage your emotions, you start feeling like you're the worst person in the world. So from divorce, and you know, I had all these internet stuff with that crazy man, obnoxious, and you know people post stuff. And the sad part about it is we, we as a people will look at that and accept it as truth without even verifying that somebody make up something. Yeah. You know, so, and it hurts. I, I, I my name is important to me. And so when people start grabbing at my name, even to this day, and I may have a strong uh, code on to say, okay, went to Bourbon Street or went to such and such place, trying to pay little attention to what really was hurting. And I may get better and better, and hopefully I'm at the point now where anybody just trying to pick up and make something out of yes, sir. something that wasn't there. Yes, know? sir. I've heard it all. So I'm sick, losing weight, and the rumor mill says he got AIDS. 
His skin is ashy. I could pull some stuff up. It's funny to me. Yeah. But at that time, it was hurtful. Yes, sir. I'm fighting for my life. You ever take oxycodone, Vicodin, and uh, all at the same time? Yeah. No. But, you know, um, I think that we all go through what we get through. Yes, sir. And I think that's the word of ministry of encouraging go through but get through yes sir don't don't turn down don't stop you know get through get to what god has for you yes sir i know i can go on and on and on but you know getting out of gas too yes sir. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go i want to ask you one more question today how do you feel today i feel physically i got some challenges but emotionally and spiritually i feel charged it's like the church is in revival. It's like God is opening up the land, but it's different from what it was 20, 30 years ago. Yes, it ain't sir. always about going somewhere, preaching, hooping, raising offering, go home. next week. Now I'm, I'm excited at the invitations like we're talking. Yes, sir. Or a group of pastors just want to pick my brain. I feel like God, has, God is showing me worth in my latter years. Yes. So when I used to go and say, if I flew to Memphis and preach and I flew to Daytona beach and preach, and then I would go somewhere else and teach or whatever, I never got to really see the cities or spend time with the pastor, his wife and kids. I can tell you quite a few of them, but now that I go, I build in an extra day. Yeah. So I can play with the kids. So I can see the city. And that's a blessing to my life. So I'm excited. Yes, sir. I'm excited. I'm going to, going to Mexico tomorrow, and I'm going to uh, do a wedding in Italy yeah, man. in August. And, you know, there's a different feel with it. I am not anti-successor, but I need to be sure that whoever God gives me is the man or woman that I can mentor and you know, a lot of my friends, they've already retired or what they say now, went on to something else in ministry. I think there's two types of pastors, and I don't know which one I am yet. Rather, I'm the one uh, that will name a successor, because, you know, time is, the clock is ticking. Or rather, I'm the one, and I don't want to name a successor till the church, to me, is at another place in more health. And I don't want to get a successor that will come in and change uh, who we are, or ignore me and my deposit. You know, they throw the old man by the side. But on the other hand, I don't want to pastor to the point where I'm killing the church. So, and I think sometimes we get older and antiquated and we have to say, okay, this is done. Yeah. So I feel charged. I feel revived. I feel motivated. And I, you know, I feel like I'm still this apostle of change because I don't understand some of the stuff y'all be doing. Yes. <laughs> you know, y'all got to turn the lights down to have worship. I understand. <laughs> I don't want a dark worship. You got to play minor chords to prophesy. I don't understand that. <laughs> I preached for a fella not long ago. I said, can y'all turn the lights up? <laughs> I said, you asked me to turn the lights up. Church was full. Can y'all turn the lights up? I can't preach in the dark. Yeah. But, you know, I understand all what they say about churches need mood lights and mm-hmm. this and other. 
But I come from a background where you can't have no instruments. We get praise and worship. They want to call it that. They want to call it that. They call it devotion. They call it congregational yeah. singing. But we didn't have to have all this extra stuff. Yeah. I ain't against it all. I'm against that dark stuff, but some of the other stuff. You know, I understand the screens. I understand the PowerPoints. Yeah. But I think in some places, because I had a fellow that was, I was had to come to preach, great known prophet preacher. And uh, uh, he said he couldn't prophesy until the minor chords were played. And God said, when it was, and we're coming to a season, and this season God is going to pour out his blessing. The musician said, (laughs) foolishness. You got a prophetic word for me, you can give it to me with or without organ. Yeah, I do believe that. Keyboard. I want to just hear keys. (laughs) Keys take us into the place of worship. A Negro, if it's keys, if it's organ, if it's piano, if it's just hand and tambourine, <laughs> you ought to be able to get to God without the stuff. Mm. That's a whole nother message. Okay. So, last thing, if you were to give a piece of advice to a young pastor today, what would that advice be? Uh, that advice would be to be very careful about who's around you and because you're going to have some days where you're naked and they may not cover you. Even if you're naked, just in the, it ain't going to be sexual sin or, or vices. You just be naked in your area of faith. And somebody to build you up. But the other thing I would say to people, uh, young preachers, don't get stuck in the stuff because everybody's doing it. It may not work for you. Be who you be who God called you to be. Be who God called you to be. You know, everybody go to these conferences, and I thank God for conferences. But in these conferences, oftentimes we come home and we minimize what we're doing because the conference showed at another level. Oh, and so we get depressed. Everything, yeah, we feel like we're not doing enough. Right, everything is not going to work in every church. So you know, be careful, seek God, and do you. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And God will bless it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Bishop. Well, thank you, sir. I know you're hungry and all that. So yeah. <laughs> I am, but it's all good. It, uh-huh. um, it was a pleasure to talk to you. You oh, yeah. are a living legend, and you've contributed so much to the church and the gospel music industry. So I just want to say thank you for your contribution, man. But thank you for coming. I'm going to sleep fast and... And get out of this city, get yes, out of this sir. country. Yes, sir. But I thank God for the opportunity to uh, meet you. Yes, sir. And to share this time with you. Absolutely. So, you know, send me some of the links and I'll put it up. I got you. All right. All right. This has been another episode of the RXS podcast with Bishop Larry Trotter. Thank y'all for listening and thank y'all for watching. Peace. Amen. <laughs>